0: Germany is Riesling central and Germany has the world's oldest and most diverse Riesling culture and we can say looking at Germany historically that German wine culture as we know it today even the German wine law as we still know it today defined itself via Riesling if I go into this I still be sitting here talking tomorrow at midnight because it's such a fascinating subject but Riesling really shaped the way germans think about wine um and i can i I write a lot of history in my book um so if you're interested go and read that i i just find it fascinating but then i also know i need to stop myself and stick to the point because i always get carried off by um historic uh, consideration and now this is a central sentence it is here in germany that riesling reaches its most diverse expressions just because you have so many different soils so many so many different climatic zones sometimes you're close to the river or you are further away from the river it's like topography also makes a difference whether you are at the top of the slope, at the bottom of the slope, in a flat vineyard or in a steep vineyard, there are all these myriad of aspects that change Riesling in so many ways. And it is in Germany that Riesling emerged as a quality variety in the course of the 18th century. And it was made famous by these historic regions, Rheingau, above all else, made Riesling famous from the very beginning in the the Middle Ages. And then, in the 19th century, Mosel-Zarruwe really gained importance as did Rheinpfalz and Rheinhessen, And this is why people always think of Rheingau-Riesling, Mosel-Riesling, Pfalz-Riesling, Hessen-Riesling, and sort of forget the satellites of the other, of the other regions, but please don't forget them, they are just as important. And here again, the map, but this time, This is a map that highlights the rivers, because that is so important. So we have the Elbe, and we have Saale and Unstrut, And then we have, of course, the chief wine river in Germany, to which all else is a tributary, and that is the River Rhine. And it comes out of Lake Constance, on the border with Switzerland, and it flows for a little bit, it flows west, and then it turns a corner and this is where it starts becoming the wine river and even here where it still flows from east to west this is where you are on the swiss border and there is a vineyard which is called the weiler schlips in weil am rhein i just love saying that schlips tries try saying that after a glass or two of Riesling. (laughs) um but so you have this really um this wine river and you see that um, the River Rhine defines Baden, defines the Pfalz. It is the Neckar, which is another Rhine tributary, that goes um, through Württemberg, and then it defines and frames Rheinhessen. Franken is on the River Main, and the Main runs into the in, into the River Main in in Mainz in kostheim Then you have the Rheingau which really is created by the fact that the Rhine wants to go north, but then it hits the Taunus mountains and it can't, so it has to make this bend towards the west, thereby creating the southern slopes or the south-facing slopes of the Rheingau. The Nahe is another Rhine tributary. The Morsel is a Rhine tributary. The R ah is a Rhine tributary. So the Rhine really is Germany's wine river. And rivers, are so important for German viticulture because they create the slopes and the microclimates that allow grapes to ripen. So what I already started saying is that the variables are endless for Riesling. So think of the soils, think of the climate, think of the styles because you can make Riesling from bone dry to lusciously sweet. You can have easy drinking Rieslings that were perfect for you know sitting by the river in a long grass and just um, drinking them away as though they were lemonade and then you can have immensely serious age-worthy Riesling too that are almost like vino da meditazione which is this beautiful italian concept of wines that you savour very slowly because they make you think and you think about them and then we have In Germany, an almost clean cut, clinical style of Riesling from stainless steel with cultured yeast. It's a squeaky, clean, super slender, and sort of like, yes, almost clinical in its cleanliness. And then you have the opposite. We have very funky Riesling with sort of really a nose of spontaneous ferment with lots of reduction. And so Riesling is is kind of in every aspect you look at it. Um, it can do anything. And this makes it so hard to think about it because it is so many things. And of course, a few years ago, people even started putting Riesling in new oak. It can even take that. And I must say, I actually quite like that. Um, because it just gives another spin on Riesling. And if you love Riesling, well, the world is your oyster, there's something for anyone. And now, if you think of all of these aspects here again. All I can say is that, what is German Riesling? It is so many things, it is so many things. And to say, for somebody to say like, I don't like German Riesling is basically, you can say you don't like Riesling, which I understand because not, thankfully we all like different things, but to say I don't like German Riesling is qualifying it in a way that doesn't make sense because what is German Riesling, okay? so. Now I talked a lot about latitudes and I talked about the fact that Riesling is a late ripening grape variety and we know that for instance 2018 was a super super hot year and even Riesling was harvested in August but that is an anomaly because usually Riesling ripens later and um, sadly today it's July but we have a very overcast and cool day today but Um, imagine you are in the middle of Europe not on a northerly island like we are here but you're in the middle of continental Europe so you have continental climate and you have fairly hot summers and grapes ripen but Riesling as the late ripener so when you have the height of summer when you have July and August with its summer heat Riesling grapes are still mostly green. They do not ripen until later. So when Riesling ripens towards September and October, your sunshine no longer is the sunshine of summer. It's no longer the heat and intensity of summer. It is a much milder, gentler sunshine. And this is why I want to remind you that it is light and not heat that ripens grapes. We all know the fundamental, fundamental principle of photosynthesis. Photo is the word for light. Because even today, as it is cool, and I'm looking out of my window where I see the big, the big beautiful leaves of my fig tree, even though it is not hot, they photosynthesize. The moment there is light, leaves photosynthesize. And because in Germany, with Riesling, as it happens later in the year, this happens with light, not with heat. And you don't need heat. Riesling doesn't need heat. It can take it, but it doesn't need it. And so the beautiful thing is that you have, if you have heat, this speeds up the metabolism. Everything happens faster. However, if you have the gentler late summer and autumn sunshine, you have a slow photosynthesis and a slow ripening that preserves acidity and gives this really long ripening period which allows the synthesis of aromas. And this is really key to Riesling, okay? And so you have, in Germany you can have moderate alcohol, a lighter body, lots of acidity, combined with so much flavor and with so much nuance and this is why Riesling excels so much in Germany because this is where it is possible and this is in those marginal climates of the Saar, of the outer regions, of um, the Nahe river um, on the higher altitudes of the Mosel you can really tease this out and let it happen very late and this is where you get those most thrilling and playful and nuanced examples of riesling and then there is this other thing i don't know if i've written this on a slide or not no i haven't um the other thing is if you are at higher latitudes you have longer daylight hours in autumn so you have if you are in rome You have at least half an hour less of daylight than when you are in Frankfurt. Just by dint of latitude and the way the earth tilts itself towards the sun. And again, this is just another aspect of having um, this kind of not intense heat, but light and long and gentle and cool light. Cool light in the morning, cool light in the evening, not the hot midday sun. So you see, I hope you see what I'm getting at, so. Now, the dreaded subject of predikatswein, And um, while German law allows Prädikate to be used for all sorts of grape varieties, they actually don't make much sense um, unless you talk about Riesling. And it is only really with Riesling that they still have a valid currency. And people also still sometimes think of the Prädikate, Kabinett, Spätlese, Auslese, Trockenbeerenauslese and Be- and Eiswein. They think of them as a quality ladder, which is wrong um, because it's a ripeness ladder and the minimum ripeness levels are prescribed for all of the Prädikatsweine, but there are no maximum levels and this is what's really wrong with German wine law. So um, if for instance a winery has got a great reputation for cabinet wines but you have a year like 2018 where actually um, all of your grapes are far riper than for cabinet level, you might actually be bottling Spätlese and labeling it cabinet, And that's legal. And this is why this is so confusing. And this is why I was so annoyed when I had to pass blind tasting exams where people willingly put cabinet in front of you and, and expect you to recognize it when in fact it might be from a riper year. And you taste Auslese and you're not mistaken. So um, this is just... One hell of a confusing system that stems from a time when um when Germany was still a lot, lot colder. This is pre-climate change Germany, when it was hard to ripen grapes, and when these minima, these minimum levels of ripeness actually meant something. Today they mean nothing anymore. So we need a new kind of yardstick for the predicate, and there is a yardstick. We'll get to this. So here you have a beautiful scale of the German wine law. And this is, I will not go too far into this, but you see the minimum levels here are just ridiculously low. And um, you have Deutscher wine and you have Landwein, which basically isn't really exported at all. And then we have the greatest category of wine that is made statistically is Qualitätswein. And then you have the Prädikatswein. And now people think Prädikatswein is better than Qualitätswein, when in fact the law does not allow you to distinguish really between the quality. And this is what makes German wine law such a dog. German wine law is confusing and to a degree idiotic because this is what it's based on. And this is also why, you know, you could, it's happened to me, that I've gone into a co-op in Baden and looked at their pinot noirs and they have a pinot noir cabinet which doesn't bloody make sense at least not in the 20th century anymore it might have made sense in the 1980s but those days are gone and yet we're still settled with these law with this law so the only difference between qualitätswein and Prädikatswein is that you can chaptalize Qualitätswein, meaning you can enrich the must with sugar whereas you cannot do that to Paddikatzwein. However, if you look at our climate today, what is far more important for winemakers is to retain their acidity. So chaptalization today in Germany is not really necessary anymore. It might have been in cooler years, like 2008 or 2010, but even then, people who understood what they were doing weren't really capitalizing. And so, also, this is just, this is the German statute, the law, but you all know the wines from the VDP, from the Verband Deutscher Prädikatsweingüter. And you know that their top-level wines are große Gewächse. Yeah? GG, großes Gewächs. All of the Gewächse are labelled as Qualitätswein. So, because the law being so idiotic and so such a hangover that has never been such a hangover from a very different climate, and I mean climate as in weather, um, and we still have this law, it somehow does not make sense anymore. And some Qualitätsweine are far are of far far better quality. Then some Prädikatsweine. So, the German law here does not help you in determining quality. It helps you in determining style. But this is as much as I will say because this is a can of worms, okay? And if anybody wants to know about German wine law, we'd have to do a separate session on this. So, um, this is the best photograph anybody has ever taken off riesling my friend ralph kaiser took this on one and the same day on an october day in a vineyard of um god clemens bush in the mosel Uh, i just was looking for the name so and with all of these grapes all harvested and picked on the same day you can make different styles of riesling so with your greenish grape here you would make a cabinet wine with this fully yellow ripe grape with these two here you would make an auslese here you would make a spätlese and here you would make a beeren And finally, a Trockenbeeren-Auslese. And the funny thing is that, depending on where your vineyard is, and this is a Mosel vineyard, and the way the grapes are trained on a single stake, rather than in a trellis where you have a fruiting zone, where you can achieve far more uniform ripeness. But if you have a traditional single stake vine in the Mosel, which may be ungrafted, which may be a really old kind of selection of Riesling, you can get all of this on the same day. And this is how the idea of these predicate actually came about. Not because your entire vineyard just reached this ripeness or your entire vineyard reached that ripeness. No, because you could harvest selectively. You could go into the vineyard and harvest all of these grapes, or all of these grapes, and sometimes there were years when you would never reach this later stage. And today, unless you go and harvest very early, you may not reach the first stages of, you know, like or your when you have this stage of ripeness. There, there still might be too little sugar or or too much acid. But sometimes Riesling is just It's not like Pinot Noir where you get a uniform ripeness or Cabernet Sauvignon where you have all of your grapes in the fruiting zone and you do everything so that they have a uniform ripeness with Riesling. That's why you have this idea of selective harvesting for different ripeness levels. Sometimes an earlier harvest pass, sometimes a mid pass, sometimes a later pass, sometimes on the same day. And this is what you need to understand about riesling, that this is what is possible, and this is what determines style far more than must weight. Because here, what you the first sort of greenish grape that makes a cabinet style today already has accumulated more sugar than say. And Auslese so or late harvest grape would have reached in the year 1985. So while you still have these minimum minimum levels of Echslere, which is the weight of the the amount of sugar in the juice as it's harvested, um, so these have all shifted, and yet you still have these styles. And you of course you realize that this greenish grape makes a very different style of wine from this golden grape. Or from this super ripe grape here that has already gone brown. I mean this is the best picture ever and so illustrative. It's this, this picture really explains why Riesling is Riesling and why you all have all of these different versions of it. <music>